This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I'm going to read something to you this morning, and if you don't have an NIV Bible, I don't normally read out of the NIV um, for no particular reason, but I don't. But I'm going to this morning, so what I would like to do is if you don't have an NIV, just take a note of it, and you can check it up later. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 14. Jesus has just been baptized by John. And the story takes place right after that. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. You go down to verse 14 and it says, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news of him spread throughout the whole countryside. I want to speak to you this morning on something that I may title, but may change, called Anything But Ordinary. Anything But Ordinary. We, we, we are complex as, as human beings because we, we want more and we have an appetite for more, but at the same time, we're never comfortable in a space that we don't know. We, we're interesting as people because we like to find a safe space. Safe spaces for people are people where we fill our lives with things that are known to us. We like mixing with people who are like us. We like to mix with people who think the way we do. We like to mix with people who come from the same culture that are. We like to mix with people who live in the same community as we do. We like to share in thoughts and beliefs that everybody else agrees with. We like to mix with people of the same denomination. We like to go to church and we like to have the same thoughts that I believe in expressed to me. We like a comfortable life that is defined by safety. But we hate being ordinary. The problem with it is we fill our lives with all of the things that are expected. All of the things that leave us in the very place that we have defined as our sense of safety. Everything that makes us and puts us at a place where we can control and we can define and we can have influence over those things. It's a safe space. We love the same space, the safe space, but we hate being ordinary. The problem with it is this, is that if you don't want to be ordinary, you're going to have to get comfortable with risky living. Because risky living means I have to embrace or have a look at something which is outside of that area where I feel safe. Something that may take me to a place beyond the boundaries where I'm comfortable. And lots of people are not prepared to do that. Most people... Many people don't feel comfortable with the idea and the concept of growth. They will tell you that they do until you make them uncomfortable. They will tell you that they like growth until you start to mess with their safe space. People like safe spaces. People like going to churches that are safe. I know what I'm going to get. I know what you're going to preach. I know the service is going to flow. I know how things are going to move. And at the end of it, I know what time I'm going to go home so that I can go and get ready for lunch. I like it when it's safe, but I hate it because it's ordinary. I hate it because it's ordinary. 
Church should be a dangerous place. Church should be a dangerous place. Because church is not designed to leave you where you're comfortable. Church is not designed to leave you where you're safe. God's not happy with where you are because he has so much more for you. The problem with it is we want to live in the seclusion of our tight boundaries. We want to live where we're safe. We want to live with what we can control. But we're frustrated because we're ordinary. Church should be a dangerous place. Because when you get to church, church should be one of those spaces that begins to interrogate your sense of safety. Church should be one of those places that begins to pepper your life with truth that says there's more to where you are. Truth should be one, church should be one of those places that says, you know what? You're going to have to get comfortable in a relationship with God because I know that in and of yourself, you're not comfortable moving into risky living. But if you know that the greater one is with you, maybe you will go some places that you wouldn't be comfortable going on your own. Church is designed to be dangerous. If you go to a church that's not dangerous, you're not in a good church. You are not in a good church. Anybody that wants to placate you and leave you where you are, everybody or any church that indulges where you are and never does anything to stretch you and move you into a greater dimension of what God has got for you, that is not a good church because it's not dangerous. Church was designed to be dangerous. I, don't, I just have to have a look at some stuff. I just have to watch the time a little bit. Church is fertile. A good church should be a fertile place. A good church should be a fertile space. Because it should preach truth. And every time it preaches truth, what it's doing is it's taking seed and making seed available and accessible to you. A good church should be a place that is as fertile as can be. And part of the reason that church is dangerous is because anytime you entertain intimacy, you run the risk of conceiving. When you come into a fertile church, you better be careful because you may conceive. That's exactly what church is designed to do. You are designed to conceive. The Holy Spirit wants to do something on the inside of you so that he can take truth and he can impart it to who, into you and so it can take on life inside of who you are. Conception is important. Conception is vital. The thing about it is what too many Christians want to do is we want to conceive and we want to hold on and we want to grow the life that's on the inside of us. The challenge that we have with so much of the church is that we never give birth. Sometime between conception and prior to birth, we terminate the pregnancy. We terminate the pregnancy. And so what so many people who are Christians do is that they're continually living as broodmares. I spend my life falling pregnant. I spend my life being pregnant. I spend my life conceiving. I spend my life being pregnant. But I've never walked into birth. Birth is important because part of the problem with the church nowadays is that we don't have an experiential reality. The whole point of conceiving is to give birth to new life. It should be something that you give birth to. The thing about birthing something and giving expression to new life is it becomes experiential. You can have it inside of you, but you've never experienced it yet. 
You're still waiting for birth. You're still waiting for birth. Part of the challenge that we've got with so much of the, the body of Christ is we spend our lives forever conceiving. We spend our lives conceiving with this, conceiving of that. There's nothing wrong with conception. Conception is good. We need to have conception. We need to have understanding. We need to have revelation. We need to be at a place where we, where we, we have an understanding of those things. Conception is good. Pregnancy is good. But birth is best. You need to carry the seed through to birth. Why? Because we need encounters with God. When you encounter life is when you experience God. That's what we need. That's what people are looking for. Because if you're not giving birth, you're ordinary. You're ordinary. How are you different to anybody else? Well, I know all of this stuff. And? And? You will know them by their fruit. It doesn't say you'll know them by their revelation. It doesn't say you'll know them because of their expansive knowledge. It says you will know them by their fruit. We've got to give birth. We've got to be birthing. Part of the reason that Christianity is so dull and so bordering, so unexciting and so ordinary for so many people is because we don't have enough births. We've got to give birth. Because if we don't give birth, we're ordinary. You see, when you give birth to life, that life will redefine your existence. Ask any mother, ask any new parents how life changes when you give birth to newness. Everything changes. When you give birth to newness, things change in your life. And when things, if things are not changing in our life, we become stagnant in ordinary. Stagnant in ordinary. I thought so. The antidote to ordinariness is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The antidote to ordinary is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, you have a good teaching and you have a nice sermon and you have a great offering and you have good songs and you have great form and you have lovely hymn books, but nothing happens. Nothing happens. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of going to church when nothing happens. Nothing happens. Too many Christians are living ordinary because nothing happens. We want to know why the world isn't interested in God. Because when they look at the church, nothing happens. You tell me you want to invite me out of ordinary, but what you have to offer me is another form of ordinary. You're telling me that God came to take me out of ordinary and to give me something new, but you're offering me ordinary. And you wonder why I'm not interested. And so it gave the church conviction. And we had to make some choices. And some people said the best solution to addressing the ordinary problem is we will become community church. 
we'll invite more people in like us. And so all of us can get together and we will all share one another and we will be together and we will do things together and we will come to church together and we will sing songs together. But nothing happens. Other churches decided, you know what? What we need to do is we need to find a way to present something to the two people so that they believe that something's happening. So we have lights and we have smoke and we have great theatrics and we have wonderful musicians and we have all the stuff that and it's all of the stuff. And I inherently am not problem with that. But if we don't have the Holy Spirit, there, nothing happens. Nothing happens. And it doesn't take terribly long before, after a while, people sit and say, I like the people here. And I like your songs. But what else you got? What else have you got? Because I still feel ordinary. I still feel ordinary. If you don't have the Holy Spirit... If we don't have the power and we don't have the presence, if we don't have the presence and the anointing, we don't have the power. If you don't have the power, you will live in ordinary. We've got to have the Holy Spirit. There is a reason why the Holy Spirit is the, the, the most contentious element in the church today. Because Satan's very smart. If I can make him contentious, you've got to decide which way you want to go. Well, we don't want to offend people. We want to be ordinary. Because people will come to ordinary. But if you put something in the midst where people have to make a decision, they may not come. People will come because they are wanting something to happen. Want something to happen. In Ezekiel chapter 36. I'll read it to you. 36 verses 26 and 27. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and you will do them. God has no intention of leaving you ordinary. Everything that God made, it says, was very good. God never created anything ordinary. And if you want to step beyond ordinary, we have to discover what his design is. What he's saying is, I'm looking for you to come to a place into relationship with me. Because you can't, if you come into relationship with me, some things are going to happen. And the first thing that's going to happen is I'm going to start doing a work inside of you. I'm going to do something that changes who you are. I'm going to change something about you. In fact, I'm going to change everything. What he says is, old things are passed away and everything has become brand new. What did he say? I did away with your sin nature. I did away with your old spirit and I've given you a brand new spirit. I've created something inside of you in a brand new spirit. I've made you brand spanking new. He did an in working. He did something inside of you to make you a new creation. 
The problem with it is most churches have never got beyond that. So you go to most churches and they'll tell you that you need to get born again so that you can get cleaned up and people do it. And there's nothing wrong with that. The problem with it is it is a prelude to step number two. The whole reason for him coming in and making you new. The whole reason for him giving you a new spirit. The whole reason for him making you righteous was so that you could become a habitation. There's something coming. There's something coming. I'm not going to leave you ordinary. You can live in that space. But he says, the reason that I didn't in working is because what's coming is an indwelling. The reason that I cleaned you up and the reason that you look so fabulous is so that I could take of who I am and put it inside of you. You have someone living inside of you. You have someone, you have the spirit of God living on the inside of you. I gave you a new spirit. I did a job on the inside of you so that I could place my life inside of you. You have someone living in your home. Do you know that person? How hospitable have you been? Usually when the door rings, we'd go and introduce ourselves. Welcome the person. Have a conversation with them. Invite them in. Especially somebody who's staying for a protracted period of time. When was the last time you spoke to the person living inside you? You see, the problem with too many Christians is we don't really have a relationship with what's living inside of us. What we do is we go out into the neighborhood and we speak to all of our friends and we say, somebody has moved into the neighborhood. Tell me about what you know about them. Oh, I heard from so-and-so this, this, this about them. Oh, I went to the church and what my church told me about them was this. We hear all of this stuff about the life that's on the inside of us. And what we've done is we've gained a perception and an understanding about the person who's living on the inside of us. But we've never met them. We never went to them and said, talk to me about who you are. Introduce yourself to me. Let me get to know you. That's why it's called a relationship. A relationship is understanding that I have the life of God that's resident inside of me. And I'm sitting saying, how do I interact with that? How do I begin to commune with God's life inside of me? Or am I just dependent on what the neighbors have to say? You see, before God moved in, He gave you a letter of recommendation. This is why I think you should have me in as a border. You have options. This is why I think you should have me. He gave you a letter of recommendation. It's called the Bible. The point of it is this. When you read the letter of recommendation, it's talking to you about who that the person is who's living on the inside of you. It's talking to you about how he related to other people. It's talking to you about who he is as a person. It's telling you about the nature of who he is. It's telling you about how he interacted with a whole bunch of other people and what their life experiences were with him. The reason that he gave you a letter of recommendation was so that you could take aspects of that and you could go into relationship and into discussion with him and say, tell me a little bit about this. Tell me what it means in the context of you and me. 
I'm glad that I could get to know it between you and Jonah. I'm glad that I could see it between you and Paul. I understand what you were doing between yourself and Peter. Talk to me about you and me. Talk to me about you and me. That's the whole point of revelation. Revelation is revealing what's on the inside of you. Revelation is sitting saying, you know what? Inside of me is the life of God. Revelation is how do I see my life in the context of the life that's inside of me? He's calling us into relationship. He's calling us to a place where he can spend time with us and where he can communicate with us and he can speak with us. We have the life of God living inside of us. You have somebody in your home. You have somebody in your home. It says that the Holy Spirit took Jesus and led him into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. The only way that we get to know about this life that's on the inside of us is by following what the Holy Spirit does. The only way that we understand the life that's on the inside of us is by becoming an adept follower. Every time you read the Bible, what it's doing is it's giving you a, a little bit more information about the resident inside of yourself. It's inviting you to go and have a discussion about that with the resident. The point is this. Every time you take the word and you get in in contact with him, understand this. It's a precursor to action. Every time you talk to him about something, what he's going to do is he will give you some understanding as to what that's all about. But he's going to invite you to take that and act on it in some way. Why? Because he wants you to give birth. What he's saying is, I'm wanting you to take the things of me to understand what they're about and to introduce them into your life. The way that we get to know the life on the inside of us is by becoming sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit and being obedient. It's different to what we've been taught. People spend their lives engrossed in the book as opposed to spending time developing relationship with the person. We're preoccupied with what the neighbors think, but we've never sat down with him. And so we find ourselves at a place where I'm trying to understand and get an understanding of what's inside of me, but develop enough of a sensitivity so that I can hear his voice and I can act on that. Hearing and action are important. Hearing and obedience are important. John 10 says, my sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. If you're born again and you have the life of God on the inside of you, you know his voice. And it's going to be different for different people. The fact of the matter is, we have to learn to understand that in every time we get into a situation or a circumstance, I can promise you, your resident has something to say about it. If we'll take the time to just sit down and say, Holy Spirit, speak to me a little bit about this. And it's different for different people. Some people see pictures. Some people feel certain things. That's the life that's on the inside of you looking for expression. What he's saying is, I don't want you to have a whole bunch of knowledge. I want you to learn how you can take the life and the resident that's inside of you and bring it into your everyday context. This is what I'm going through. I just don't feel like I should be doing this. Don't do it. 
well, I always do that. Okay, so then you're going to go and do what you want to do. But what we're learning to do is we're learning to refine our hearing so that we hear what he's saying and we're quick to obey. Part of the problem that we have is that we don't have a context and a frame of reference for doing it. The challenge that we have, it's like if you have parents who are irresponsible with money and they don't know how to handle money effectively. What ends up happening is when they raise their kids, they don't raise their kids with a grid to handle money, finances effectively. So what ends up happening is their kids behave the same way as the parents. Why? Because I didn't instill in them any framework to understand from a healthy point of view how to handle finances. This is how generational things move from one to the next. Because I'm teaching you what I know, and if it's nothing, they're going to be about as smart as you are. So I have a responsibility to try and understand that stuff, because if I don't, I'm going to take what I'm given and I'm going to operate off that. The problem that we have is this. For too long, the church has been operating and nothing's happened. Nothing happens. And when nothing happens, we raise people in that environment. And so we raise them to expect nothing happening. So what ends up happening is we have a whole generation of people expecting nothing to happen. We have a generation of ordinary people who sit and say, but you know, the Bible says this and the Bible says that. And I believe I'm not against the word. I'm a big proponent of the word. What I'm saying is it's not a substitute for relationship. The point is, we have different churches who introduce us to their practices and how things should happen and their form and their routine and all of these different things. And we are okay with it and we know all about it and we're comfortable in that, in, that, in that realm. But it's never established a context for us. It's never established a grid inside of us so we know how to connect with the life inside. So when I step into traditional Christianity, what I do? I follow the rules like everybody else. And we all go down the same path. And we become disillusioned because we feel ordinary. And God says, it's because there's more. I want you to shake that stuff up a little bit. I want you to realize that there's so much more. There's so much more. The journey is always so much more exciting than the directions. You get onto Google Maps and you tell them that you want to go from this point to that point. It'll say, go 100 yards down Baloo Street, turn left onto 234. At the first intersection, turn right. It'll give you the directions. It'll give you the directions. But the directions are never as exciting as the journey. The problem with it is we have too many Christians who are not running their race. They're stuck in the paralysis of analysis. They've never got out and started doing anything. So what we end up doing is we find ourselves at a place where we're sitting saying, well, now we've got a whole bunch of different routes we could take. Do you want to take the scenic route? Would you like to take the fast route? Which route do you want to take to get you to where you want to be? Now, have we really done an analysis and and explored the original Greek and Hebrew names of all of the different roads that we're going to be traveling on? We want to explore all of the stuff. We want to get into all of the stuff. And there's nothing wrong with revelation as long as it is contributing to the journey. The problem with it is there's so many people who are stuck in the paralysis of analysis that they've never run the race. They never run the race. And when you speak to them and you say, did you ever see that view? 
It's like, no, I, I, I've never been there. Whoa, did you climb that mountaintop and did you? Uh, no, I, I've never been there. What about that, that ocean view? Wasn't that fabulous? That little place where there's, no, I've never been there. I've never been there. I know a lot of stuff, but I've never been anywhere. I've never been anywhere. Run the race set before you. Sometimes what ends up happening is we get so caught up in the method that we lose sight of the truth. It's not about the mechanics. It's not about the mechanics. It's about relationship. It's about relationship. There are some places and there are some encounters that only hunger is going to get you there. As much revelation as you have, as much understanding as you have, how hungry are you for the things of God? How hungry are you for the things of God? People who live by encounters have very little time for mechanics. They're inconsequential. I don't care about what you think. Did you see what I gave birth to? You want to tell me about how to do this and how to do that. You want to tell me about how to do the next thing. The fact of the matter is I'm busy having experiences with the one that's live on the, that lives on the inside of me. The passion that I have is to get to know that and to live from that space. So it introduces me to experiences. Verse 12, I think it is. Hebrews 4, verses 14. Uh, verses 1 and verse 14. It's interesting to see what happened. Because Jesus goes down and he meets with John. And John says, okay, I'm going to baptize you. And John baptizes him. This is the paraphrased version. And Jesus comes out and the Holy Spirit descends on him. And Jesus, full of the Spirit, gets led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. But when he comes out of the wilderness after 40 days, it says he came out with the Holy Spirit and with power. Something happened in the desert that took the Holy Spirit that he went in with, to a place where he walked out with the Holy Spirit and with power. What happened in the desert that changed it from the Holy Spirit to the Holy Spirit and with power? It was the temptation. It was the testing. What was happening was this. It was all about value. It was saying to Jesus, you have the, anoint- you, you have the Spirit that's fallen upon you. To what degree do you value the anointing? I'll tell you what, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you let go of the anointing. What was Satan doing? He was sitting saying, I'll give you opportunities to sit and say, what do you value most? The anointing or something else? That's what the temptation was about. 
And Jesus passed everything. And when he came out on the other end, because he had passed the test, it was like, I can trust you. I can trust you with the anointing. And when I can trust you with the anointing, you become a person of power. Do we pass the test? Do we pass the test? You see, Jesus is going to work in our lives. And Jesus is going to invite us to do different things. And he's, the life that's on the inside of us is going to speak to us with regularity. And what it's going to do is it's going to sit and say, I want you to do this. It's going to extend an invitation to you to do something. But between the invitation and the experience, you're going to encounter the cross. Between the invitation and the experience, you're going to encounter the cross. And at the cross, you're going to have to make a decision. What do you value most? What do you value most? Nobody's excluded from it. And you don't know what God's going to invite you to do. God may sit and say to you, you know what? When you come in this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to just close your eyes. I want you to lift your hands and I want you to worship me. And I want you to just worship me for who I am, for what I've done, for where I've been, for what I've taken you through, for what I've prepared for you. I want you to worship me for, for the way that I've touched your life and for what your, your future looks like. I want you to worship me because I can take you out of ordinary and I can put you in a place of experience. I want you to worship me for who I am. He's extended the invitation to you to do something. But between the invitation and the encounter comes the cross. And at the cross, I've got to make a decision. Because for lots of people, that's not how I was raised. That's not my paradigm for things. So God, I hear what you're saying, but... You see, when I got to the cross, I wasn't prepared to die. Because my tradition was more important and was placed more value on it than his invitation. The cross is always there. We don't always think about it. We think about the cross in other ways. It doesn't always affect us. There are times where we come to the cross and it's like, you know what? That's just not who I am. That's not my personality. So God, I'll come in and I'll worship, but I want to raise my hands and I'm not going to close my eyes. I encountered the cross. But I said my value was more with me and my reputation as opposed to the invitation. Every time he extends an invitation to you, between the invitation and the encounter, you can have the cross. You can have to make some decisions about what it is you want to do. We have to make a decision about to, to what degree do we value the anointing? Do we value the presence? To what degree do we value what it is that God wants to do in our life? It's easy to say yes until you encounter the cross. Because you're going to encounter the cross and you're going to come across that place and it's going to be different for everyone. The gospel is free, but the anointing will cost you your life. The gospel is free, but the anointing will cost you your life. How do I participate in his sufferings and in his death? 
unless you participate in his sufferings and his death. Unless I'm prepared to say at the cross, it's not about my reputation. It's not about what I think. It's not about my ideas. It's not about anything else. It's about what you want. Unless I come to that place, it's very difficult to ever walk into what he has for me. Because I never died to it. The only way that you experience resurrection power is if there's a death. If you're not prepared to die, there's nothing to resurrect. Obedience is better than sacrifice. The reason he's saying obedience is better than sacrifice is because he wants to walk you out of ordinary and he wants to walk you into encounter. And what he's saying is when you get to that cross, be obedient. Be obedient, because if you go through the cross and you get to the other side, you'll encounter stuff and it'll change your life and it'll shift your experience and you'll come face to face with life. Obedience will get you there. Sacrifice will leave you where you are. Sacrifice will leave you in ordinary. Because I never get to encounter the things of God. It says... It's harder for a rich man to go. It's harder for a camel to go through the. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And we're so natural. We always default to, but that's about money. Maybe it's not about money. It's about anything that you've accumulated in a mass of. Some people are well known in the neighborhood. Everybody knows them. I've got a big reputation. I'm reputation rich. Some people have spent their lives studying, exploring, exercising their intellect. I'm intellectually rich. Some people spend a whole bunch of time getting to a place where my form and my religion is rich. What I know and what I believe is rich. And God says, when you come to the cross, are you prepared to die? The reason that it's hard for somebody who's rich is because when it's your reputation at stake and your reputation is big, I have a lot that's at stake. When you have no, did you call me? Oh, when you have no reputation, it's easy because you've got nothing to give. When you are so set in your way spiritually and you have big reputation as far as intellect goes, there is a lot that's at stake when I come to the cross. If I've never really spent terribly much time exploring that, I can move through that place a lot quicker than somebody who has to give up a whole bunch. Sometimes the price is more hefty than at others. That's why people who are new Christians very often can move into places really quickly. Why? Because the cost. When you spend your life talking about how tongues is so bad and it's of the devil and God invites you into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's a lot at stake. My history is there. Everybody's looking at it. It's hard to get into the kingdom because the price is high. Price is high. Let 
God never wants us to live in ordinary. God wants to do something in your life to shake your world. You may be safe and you may be comfortable where you are. I can promise you he has more for you. The invitation that he extends to you is to become aware of the fact that he cleaned you up and he gave you a brand new house so that he could move in. He's resident inside of you. Become aware of that. Spend time on a daily basis, intentionally thinking about what does it mean? You never have a private moment. Anytime you think you can get away with something, remember your resident is with you. You think nobody knows. You don't know people until you live with them. He's living with you. He knows you. Do we know him? You see, the Christian walk is not about what you know. It's our ability to be able to recognize the fact that his life is on the inside of me. And I've got to the place where I'm able to hear and communicate with his life that's on the inside of me. And I allow that to have influence in my life. I don't know what he's going to tell you to do, but it'll probably be different to me because he works with us individually. The reason he's inside you and he doesn't come into one person for them to tell what everybody else must do is because he's interested in you. He's going to do some stuff with you. So we want to get connected to him. We want to hear his voice. Be quick to obey. Be quick to obey. If we want to walk into a dimension of experience with God, if we want to walk into encounters, if we want to give birth, we've got to be quick to obey. And recognize the fact that between the invitation and the encounter, you're going to come face to face with the cross. The funny thing about the cross is it's more for you than for him. Because he knows which way you're going to go. But the more you struggle at that space, it's telling you about what's most important in our lives. That's what it's talking to you about. It's showing you and making you aware of the fact that you say you want these things up until the point where it costs you this. Then I've got a limit. It's always dangerous having limits with God. I don't know if you've ever discovered this, but he knows where your limits are. He doesn't go for other stuff. He goes for your limits. He'll put you right at the space where it's your limit. And he's like, now what are you going to do? He knows. And you think, well, why doesn't he do this with other people? Because they got their own limits somewhere else. So we're learning and recognizing the fact that the Holy Spirit is the one that leads us and guides us. We're recognizing the fact that I'm developing relationship with him. I'm becoming sensitive to who he is and how he wants to move, how he wants to have influence in my life. And I'm being responsive to that. I want you to think about it in this context. Use it when you come to church. Don't come to church to get. Come to church with the expectation that where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is. Come with the expectation that when they all came in unity, knowing that the greater one was inside of them, and they all collectively came together, things happened. We want things to happen. 
And because of that, my encouragement to you is this. When you come in, come in prepared. Come in expecting. Come in with anticipation where you sit and say, I know that he's on the inside of me. What happens when collectively we all come together? What could happen in that space? Because there is a corporate dimension to things that transcends what can happen in your life individually. That's what church is about. And when that starts to happen, that's when you'll affect Northern Virginia. Because you won't have to go to them. They will be coming to you. People want to know, show me where things are happening.